0: Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. You can learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us on Sunday mornings at El Dorado High School in the Performing Arts Center at 9 and 11 a.m. Good morning, everybody. Hello. Hello. What were you doing right there? What was that? Ooh, I want to know now. He He said nothing as he put it away very quickly. Not Candy Crush. Um not words with friends. Uh, Instagram? Yeah. Yes. Boom. Hey, good morning, everybody. My name is Mike. Welcome to summer. Here we are. It's beautiful. Um, and and the, I, I think the hardest transition in my life was when I left college and I graduated and I, I got a job. That happens uh, every now and again, is that you graduate and you get a job right away. So I graduated in May. I started in June, and I did not have summer break. And I realized I had two weeks off for the year. And I, I realized that being an adult, it sucks. Let's just say that. Let's use that word together. So, so if you're uh, if you're a stay at home parent, uh, congratulations, and I'm sorry that it's summertime because it's a mixed bag. <laughs> And exactly two months from now, you'll be ready for the children to go back to school. Am I right? Um, So anyway, welcome. Uh, My name is Mike Erie, and uh, this is a a church community called Vox, which is Latin for voice. Uh, We're big fans of the voice of Jesus into the world today. And uh, I don't know about you, but it seems like Jesus' voice is needed now more than ever. Would you agree? I want to start this morning just by praying for the terrorist attacks in London. And, um, and, and it seems to me that the, the, the more this happens, and the more commonly it happens, instead of planes, now it's just trucks, um, and it, it's, not, it's, it's ordinary terror, it's not like this spectacular, um, that, that the people of God have a very difficult choice to make. Will they join the rest in the world in being afraid? Or will they continue to be people of faith and hope and love um, who bless uh, even those that persecute us? And so I want to pray for uh, the victims of this. I want to pray for us. And then we'll dive into a bit of Q&A together. Sound good? So if you're the praying type, close your eyes because, you know, God does his best work when our eyes are closed. We all, we all know this. Uh, Lord Jesus, we grieve yet again another uh, incident of murder and of terror and um lord we we see in our world of heightened fear heightened security heightened awareness Um, the battle lines are drawn god we want to be people desperately want to be people who do not live by fear uh, but who are, who are faith-filled and hope-filled, that you are still at work, and that, um, that our protection doesn't lie in security measures. Our protection really lies uh, in the hope of the resurrection and the reality that good wins over evil. And so, God, would you give us grace, and would you give the church in London grace to rise up in these moments, to bring comfort, to preach the gospel, to uh, to be leading the way in what it looks like to be Jesus in these moments. And we pray for the victims and their families, God. Would you draw near to them? And we pray uh, for Isis, God, in the name of Jesus. We pray that you would break the powers and the principalities that sit over them uh, and that you would call their leadership to repentance. Um, and God, that, that you would... Um, Remove uh, this menace from our world. Uh, But more than anything, God, I just pray for us. And I pray for all the conversations that come after an incident like this. God, give us grace to be your people. In the name of Jesus, amen. That was pretty good. I I would rate, just on my own prayer scale, I would say that was probably a seven and a half. (laughs) Out of five. Uh, So I felt like that was awesome. All right, whoa. I got the Heimlich ready. I've been I've been really eager to practice it on somebody. Um, so, my brothers and sisters, if you're new to our community, we place a great deal of a significance on the fact that people are in process. And that normally, church is not a safe place to ask questions. And so we highly encourage questions and honest stories and process. So we have some doozies today on the question scale. Ladies and gentlemen, this is where you text them to. And uh, let's go. Let's go. What does God say about women teaching in the church? Considering we had a woman teach in the church last week, I think you're gonna know what my answer is. Um, uh, There are are at least two places in the Bible where uh, it very much appears to restrict women teaching. And so these are normally the passages that are used to say women shouldn't teach, even though you have female apostles, you have uh, female prophets, you have females who read the letters in the small churches, so so, uh, Phoebe reads the letter from the, the book of, uh, the what we call the book of Romans, she read the letter to Rome, she read she carried that letter and read it to the church. Um, my take on it is very simple, Paul's big concern in Corinthians and Timothy when he restricts the, the roles of women is the furthering of the gospel, and any place where the empowerment of women would hinder the gospel, he restricts. Uh, In the same way, if you're preaching in a Muslim country, um, and a burqa is something that's required for you as a woman we would say wear the burqa for the sake of the gospel. Uh, I think Paul's primary concern in all of those passages is the furtherance of the gospel and he's making cultural accommodations to that. Now obviously lots of people disagree so podcasts are coming where we deal with those passages specifically. I think the Bible does not restrict women from any capacity of leadership at all. That's new for me. That's, uh, that was actually the result of years of study, not the result of uh, being married. Uh, so, anyway. Someone asked, oh, that's funny. Someone asked about how do we find Izzy's music? And I made a joke about, well, no one asked about my book, so that was probably my family. Um, you really don't want to find them. Yeah, exactly. You could just skip through that. Um, Matthew, uh, is, yeah, 15. Is Jesus calling the woman a dog? Okay, well, Jesus never calls a woman a dog. If you remember, there's this story about a woman that comes up. Jesus is in this house. He's trying to withdraw. A woman is asking for healing, I think for her son. Uh, Jesus has this comment comment like uh, it's something like we we don't take children's food and give it to dogs. And she says, yeah, but the dogs even get the crumbs that come from the table. And Jesus said, ah, your faith has made your child well. The question is, well, was Jesus just being rude? And the answer is, no. Jesus was playing off of just a common, you know how we say something like, kick the bucket? Now imagine 2,000 years from now, someone is reading a letter where you reference kick the bucket. Are they going to have any idea what that means? No. For us, that means you die. For them, they're like, why would people go around kicking buckets? I don't understand that. There was an aphorism in Judaism that was just, you don't give to dogs what is fit for children, you don't give to children what is fit for dogs. You do what's appropriate in the situation. That's what the aphorism meant. And so Jesus had just been preaching about how his primary emphasis was going to Israel, um, and his, his he just even sent out his followers to just, nope, stay to the lost sheep of Israel, but here's this Gentile woman who comes with great chutzpah and responds to that aphorism by saying, yeah, 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 but, and it's a beautiful picture. He's not calling her a dog at all. Holy moly. Now, some of you need to learn brevity when you text in the questions, all right? Because there are some that are paragraphs, and we're like, it's a great question. We just can't put it up. There are those who shun away from loving Christ because of the concept of sin. When we say sinners or sin, it turns certain people off, feeling that there are no sinners or it's really harsh to judge people. It's like a bad word in today's environment. The analogy would be the Oprah, Deepak Chopra effect of we are all perfect and a loving God doesn't judge. How do you talk to people who just cringe and don't want to follow a God who says, we're all sinners, we are bad, when they hear the use of the word sinner and repelled from getting to know Christ? That's a great question. Um, I I once was confronted uh, after I preached a sermon uh, because I didn't use the word sinner. Instead, I used the word broken. Instead, I used the word Darkness. I use the word um, shame and fear. I, I described the effects of sin. So very often, people do not want to be told they're sinners, but they will tell you themselves when you get into honest conversations with them. Very simply, I, just, I, I always say something like this. It's pretty obvious something is wrong with the world. And when I'm really honest, it's clear there's something wrong with me that I add to the mess. Now, I'm describing sin... But notice, I haven't talked about them at all. Everyone agrees the world's messed up, and, if, and, and people will agree that I'm messed up. And so there's a diffusing way of doing this. When we talk about the concept of sin, the Bible just doesn't use one word. Like there are four Old Testament words that describe different aspects of sin. We're not locked into that word. But we are, I think, very, uh, we're given a great deal of permission to contextualize sin. Now, if you're gonna say, listen, you like, like there's this evangelism method that, that just goes through the Ten Commandments and says, well, you've broken them, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. In that sense, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure how effective that is these days because our society is no longer run by guilt. So guilt evangelistic presentations really don't have the punch they used to. Shame evangelistic presentations, on the other hand, are incredibly powerful. So to talk about shame, to talk about fear, to talk about feeling enslaved to things in ourselves that we just can't control. I think people are very, very comfortable with that sort of language. Now, ultimately, those are facets of sin. Absolutely. But even when you talk about what Jesus does, Jesus just doesn't solve our sin problem, Right Jesus adopts us into His family, He reconciles us to the Father. He redeems us from slavery, right? It's not just forgiveness of sin. So I think we have a great deal of permission to use other images is a big, long answer to that. Make sense? Okay. Do we have uh, one more, or is it is, is this the one the super long one? Yeah, okay. I don't think we can do that one because OK, is there one more? Holy moly, okay, dang. All right, well, since we started, go back to, real quick, I was raised to shun anything worldly or not of God, to the extent that there being some sort of dark spiritual juju associated with anything you couldn't find in local Christian bookstores. And let me be clear, there's dark spiritual juju with stuff in Christian bookstores, okay? Just because a label is slapped on it that says it's Christian does not mean it's Christian. And just because a label says it's not Christian doesn't mean it's non-Christian. Okay? There are parts of our world that whether or not they're Christian are of Christ. Anything that is good, anything that is true, anything that is beautiful, claim it, it's yours. Alright? So the world, see worldly has like three different meanings in the New Testament. The world can be either the cosmos, the world can be the inhabited population of earth, or the world can mean the system of organized opposition against the work of God. So, there's stuff in our culture that you can accept, there's stuff in our culture that you can redeem, and there's stuff in our culture that you, can, you have to reject. And the problem is there aren't a lot of rules so you can watch certain movies, but, other, but those same movies might cause me to stumble because of lust. You might be able to handle making a boatload of money and be generous. I may not be able to handle making a boatload of money and be generous. Correct? So the worst things that people do are start making these ironclad rules about what's godly and what's worldly. Now, there are some obvious examples. Let's see. I'm sorry, I'm answering even more. Okay. Even yoga was considered a pagan practice which opened you up to spiritual influences akin to witchcraft. I just think yoga is horrible on its own. <laughs> now in my own household, I find it possible to find things that are positive and edifying and discard what isn't. That's the point. Paul has this great line of 1 Thessalonians. Test everything, keep the good. And what do you test it against? You test it against the, the Scriptures first and foremost your community and discernment and wisdom, and the inner testimony of the Spirit. If it passes that, so, so is part of Buddhism true? Sure. When Buddhism starts by saying life is out of joint and suffering, is that true? Yes. When Islam says there's one God, yes. I mean, there are parts we can affirm some religious teachings, specifically Baha'i teachings, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, I find to have beautiful messages full of love and family and neighbor, compassion and positivity. While their faith doesn't limit God to the identity provided in our Bible, some of the ideals I think are very similar. Sure, I think we can affirm truth wherever we find it next. I use that as a specific example, but does the general idea of finding good where it can be found and casting aside what is it in line with the Gospels make sense? Yes! Or am I just opening myself up to deception, backsliding, or otherwise demonic influence? It's possible to do that. But it sounds like from the question, if you're immersed in the Scriptures, you're in community, you're filled with the Spirit of God, man, it, Paul just simply says it, enjoy the things that God created for our enjoyment. But there, of course, always be on guard. But the, la- the worst thing to do is to just divide the world into Christian and non-Christian. That's not how we do it. We divide, we divide the world much differently than that, all right? So i got to stop because I'm way, way over time, you long questioners. All right, now, so we love, 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 love questions. We answer a bunch of them on Facebook, so you can go to our Facebook page, and uh, we answered like three or four there this week. Um, uh, and one of the things we love to do is we love to tell stories of people who are in the midst of kind of figuring all of this out. So we embody... Talk about anything and safe to belong, not only by questions, uh, but by stories. So, Teresa and Sherman are coming out. Teresa, right here, was in my college group when I was a college pastor. Um, Sherman has the great privilege of marrying Teresa. And I want you to say hello to the nine o'clock service. They're, 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 they're yeah, they're very quiet.
1: We're usually a part of the 9 o'clock service, so we right. understand.
0: You drive down from LA, mm-hmm. right, so you win the commuter award. These people are tired and they drove from Brea. You know, I mean, yeah. that's no <laughs> no excuse. Um, but share uh, with us a little bit about your participation in this community, close and from afar, and where you're
2: headed.
1: Okay.
2: Um, hi, I'm Sherman. This is my wife, Teresa. As Mike stated, uh, And we are about to embark on a pretty interesting life journey. Um, We wrote down uh, just what what got us to this point and where we are. And I'm an introvert and get nervous, so Teresa's going to tell you most of it. (laughs) Um, When
1: Sherman and I started dating five years ago, he had pretty big issues with the church after years of disillusionment and burnout caused by a decade of playing music in church settings. (laughs) He was far ahead of me on the road to deconstruction and we fought a lot of battles over the importance of church involvement. I felt like he only saw the negative and he felt like I was naive. After we were married, we got involved in a small church plant up in LA where we felt aligned with the core values. The pastor's teaching was straightforward and intelligent. He seemed passionate about fostering a local community. The worship music was simple, and the gatherings were in a small space that felt sort of rough around the edges. We loved that it felt organic and not produced. I helped run the hospitality team, uh, and Sherman decided to volunteer in the band. We quickly found ourselves overcommitted, as can happen. Um, as the church began to grow, it started going in a direction that we daily felt more distanced from. It felt like being cool and having an impressive production was taking precedent over simplicity and we felt unseen and lost in the shuffle. After a period of intense questioning, we decided to leave that church with little idea about what to do next and even less hope of finding a gathering of people we could identify with. Fortunately, at the time, we were being mentored by an older couple who have now become dear friends. They were going through a similar process of disillusionment and frustration with the American church at large, and we found solidarity in our disenfranchisement. We found a ton of healing and growth in our mutual ability to be honest and vulnerable and go through that hard journey together. Uh, It was around this time that Mike was in my thoughts and prayers a lot. Um, He had been my pastor at two different churches, first as my college pastor and then at another church after that. Um, I always really treasured the way he led us through doubts and questioning and honest conversation Mm. and um, I did some research found out that he had recently left a church and so I reached out to say like hey we don't have a home please come to Los Angeles and do something up there Um, didn't work out (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: placentia just sounded so much cooler
1: yeah it is (laughs) Um, I did hear about the Vox podcast, though, yeah. around that same time. Come on. Sherman and I started listening to that. Um, Sherman was really grateful for someone putting in towards the sentiments about the church that he had long felt and felt um, unable to express openly. For the first time, he felt validated in his struggles with the church and hopeful mm. that things could be different. Listening also helped us realize that we were not alone in our feelings and experiences, that American Christianity is broken and has left a lot of damaged, confused people in its wake. We wanted to create a space for some of them to gather, so we began hosting a weekly podcast night in our loft where I cook, um, and we listen to an episode of Vox together and have a conversation. Hmm. Um, It's something, creating community and hosting people is something we feel very passionate about. Um, it's the closest thing to church I think most of us have experienced, and for that reason has even called into question our definition of the church. Our deep connection to the podcast led Sherman and I to check out Box Community, um, and we wanted to see what a different model of church could look like. So that's part one of the story. Part two is about our battle with life in Los Angeles, the great city of angels. Um, LA is a tough place, financially and relationally. We have both been weighed down by anxiety and depression over Mm. the past five years, as well as identity issues with our work and purpose. Sherman Mm. is a freelance photographer, and I'm a private chef. We have struggled to find consistent work and pay rent in a city where you have to fight to convince people of your relevance and value. It has felt very lonely at times, as we've watched our friends and community succeeding while we feel like we can never figure it out. Our marriage has also suffered. The exhaustion we've felt in daily life has often left us with little or nothing left to give one another, which has in turn bred anger and resentment. Um, To add to all that, Sherman also suffers from a chronic sleep disorder, and I've been battling ongoing stomach and digestion pain and issues. And although we finally had our little Vox community group um, that was feeling like a home, we just felt like we were drowning. Hmm. So... Um I started asking God for some direction and guidance for our lives, and an idea came. Uh, we could let go of our wonderful, cherished loft and head out on the road for a year. Sherman would be able to work on his photography, and together we could volunteer on small farms through an organization called Woof. No um, yeah.
0: That's the name of it. Uh-huh. Woof.:
1: World No, willing workers on organic farms. Woof. Woof. Okay. We wanted to, we figured (laughs) we could spend time together um, with like old friends, family around the country. love it. Um, It also felt like God's leading because it felt so much like freedom. Mm. Freedom after a long stretch of what was beginning to feel like bondage in LA. Mm. And although it's terrifying, we are going with it.
2: Uh, So we're taking one step at a time, asking God to provide for us. Our life is now in storage, and we moved out of our apartment last week. We still don't have the whole trip planned or a car to get us there, but with every move, we feel more certain that this is the right direction. We're also hoping to connect with other Vox listeners on the road and uh, hear their stories and our refreshed understanding of what the church could be more uh, it could be, and more than uh, just a gathering on Sundays. We don't really know what the future holds, and most days are a complication, compilation of fear, anxiety, and hope. <laughs> it's hard to leave our life in L.A. behind, but we are convinced the best life is one where we put ourselves in the kind of circumstances to depend fully on God and each other.
0: Oh, I love it. So here's what we're going to do, and I just think this is the coolest thing ever. So we're going to mention them on the podcast, and we're going to try to line them up with podcast listeners around the country, and try to hear some of the stories of, of what's happening. So these are our very own Vox Ambassadors, our very first Vox Ambassadors, and I just think it's so, so fun. So I want to pray for them, and if, um, if for some reason private chef and photography don't work out elsewhere, there's a house in Brea. That um
1: Hey, I've I, been trying to come cook you a I meal know. for ah, a couple true, of years now. True.
0: I know, seriously. <laughs> all right, so I just want to pray for these guys. We just thought it was a unique story of, of stories that we hear all the time of of what God's doing through this little community. So, Lord Jesus, I bless these two and I pray for their healing. Pray for their healing physically, I pray for their healing emotionally. I pray, God, that I, I almost picture like a detox. Um, from Southern California and L.A., that those hours on the road would be beneficial and that you would knit their hearts together so deeply and that you would surprise them and that Woof wouldn't be a dog but would be glorious. Oh, boy. And so, Jesus, we commission them as part of our community and we ask, God, that you would go before them and that you would provide for them and that you would surprise them. In the name of Jesus, amen. 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 Thank you guys so much. That's awesome, ladies and gentlemen. Izzy Ray and pedal steel—that's what that is. Pedal steel is not only the the instrument, but it's the color of Steve's hair. And so there. I and on that note, yeah. Call to worship. Isn't she cute? And you know why she sings that song. <laughs> every time, every time. All right, my brothers and my sisters, um, I'll try not to trip over anything, uh, but we've got some we've got some thick stuff to dive into today. Um, So we get so many questions, some of them we try to answer in church, some of them we do Facebook, some of them we do podcasts on, but some of them get turned into sermons and this is one of those. Fire up the question from last week. In my church background, the pastor always took the Lord's Supper very seriously. First reading from 1 Corinthians 11, which says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, so I guess women are immune, a man must examine himself, that was a joke, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly." For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep, which is a euphemism for die. Next. Uh, Then there was a time of silence with a hymn playing, and when everyone bows their heads and gets right with God before the elements of communion are passed around. Next. I was wondering your views on this, since here all are welcome to take Eucharist without warning us to be careful that we'd better be right with God. Do you believe that some people will be judged with sickness or death, like we were warned in 1 Corinthians? Whoa! Now, would you agree that's worthy of a sermon? All right. Now, here is one of the most misread, misunderstood, misapplied, and abused passages in the entire New Testament. Because nobody takes the context in view. Nowhere, not once. does it say you got to get right with God to eat the Lord's Supper? Let me show you what it says, all right? First, this is a big deal, and I'm going to get hot under the collar about this. Cuz I've served in churches where they said women can't serve communion, or non-believers can't take communion, or you got to have a time of repentance to take communion, or you got I've even had a pastor at a church I was pastoring at say so you got to get cleaned up first to take communion. And I want you to know, none of that is in here. Not one bit. So I'm gonna get fired up, brothers and sisters, because I think this is one of the ways the American church has allowed tradition to trump theology and a right reading of the scripture. All right? So What? You, you were talking to me in the middle of my talking? First thing you got to understand is when the early church gathered, wh- where, where did they meet? Uh, N- <laughs> remember that verse about women must remain silent? <laughs> I'm glad that's not for today, right? Okay. No, Kelly, Kelly's amazing. No, uh, yes, they met in houses and the, 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 they would share a common meal. And the Eucharist would be a part of the common meal. It wasn't its own thing. It was part of the, the supper. Now, in Corinth, as in anywhere in Greek culture in those days, they were private suppers that had social status attached to them. So, you were probably meeting in a a wealthier person's home that had room. There would be a dining room, and and at that dining room would be something called a triclinium, which is this kind of U-shaped thing where people would recline at the table. We've talked about how you didn't sit, you reclined in and ate with your right hand. There was room typically for nine people to eat there. Uh, and, And in some homes, you would have an atrium that would be a bit bigger, and you'd have room for 30 or 40 people. Now, in in, in Corinthian culture, right, in Greek culture, suppers were all based around hierarchy and status. The the higher people, the higher ranked socially people, ate at the triclinium, they ate first, and they ate better than everybody else, okay? So what, what Paul's about to describe is that they were celebrating their ordinary meal using the same social status divisions of just common Corinthian culture. And that that was what it meant to eat the body and blood of Jesus unworthily. All right, so just check this out and tell me. Tell me, tell me where it says you got to get right with God first. Just tell me. Okay, fire it up. So this is above the passage that the questioner quoted. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear when you come together as a church, all right, in, this, in a home, there are divisions among you. And in 1 Corinthians, he's dealing with divisions all over the place. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt, there have to be differences among you to show which of you has God's approval. In other words, everyone's not at the same place spiritually. So then, now listen, this is the context for the warning. So then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat, for when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. Do you see? The wealthier people eat first. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? Do you see what's happening? The wealthy are eating first, the wealthy are eating best, and the poor have been neglected and excluded. And in an honor and shame culture, they've been shamed. They've been despised is an honor and shame word. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. Next. Then, we have this very famous passage that we read here, and Paul quotes the tradition of communion. For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper he took the cup, this cup is a new covenant in my blood, do this whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. And then Paul adds, for whenever you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Okay, now here comes the warning, next, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Now, what's the context of unworthy? What's the context? The division between the rich and the poor. The rich were shaming the poor. Okay, do you understand that? That is the meaning of unworthy here. There is no other meaning. Why? Because Paul has just said the concern he's addressing is the division in the church caused by the rich and the poor. The rich shaming the poor. All right. He's not saying you have to be worthy to eat it. He's not saying that at all. So then, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves. Before they eat and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the what? The body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Now just a couple of points. Okay. Look at me. Don't you get tired. Look at me. It looked like you were fallen asleep. No one would blame you. Okay, we're zeroing. Okay does it say who is worthy to eat does it say who is worthy to officiate who are the only people supposed to judge themselves so there isn't supposed to be some hierarchy that says you're worthy and you're not okay Nothing in there. This is not about who takes it. This is about how it is taken. Do you understand that? Not a word in here about who. So, everyone ought to examine themselves. Go back. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the what? Now, the body. Now, this is, where, this is where people will say back to everything I've said. In order, the body here means the communion elements. Okay, so you, you have to be a believer to discern the body in the communion elements. That's not the body that Paul is talking about. All right, stick with me. Jump a couple of slides forward to 1 Corinthians 12. The body he's talking about is the body of the church without discerning the body of Jesus. Notice, and this, see, we just think this is about spiritual gifts. No, he's correcting the abuse of communion here. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the what that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts we think are less honorable, this is honor-shame language, we treat with what? Special honor next, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the what, the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So there should be no what division in the body. All right, back to 1 Corinthians eleven. So then, whoever eats uh, the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink the cup. Now, what's unworthy here? Right? Let me show you. Throw up the Richard B. Hayes quote. This is one of my favorite New Testament scholars who says what I'm saying. He took it from me. Okay, so this is a direct quote from his commentary on 1 Corinthians. All right so if you don't trust me trust this guy who's a lot smarter and he's british <laughs> Unfortunately the warning in 27 and 28 have often been taken out of context and seriously misinterpreted The statement in verse 27 about eating the bread and drinking the cup unworthily has often been misunderstood to mean that only the perfectly righteous can partake of the Lord's supper and the call for self-examination in verse 28 has been heard as a call for intense introspection This is however a what a grave misreading now in like for a briton like that's a, that's like massive okay a briton an englishman paul's words must be understood in the context of the specific situation that he is addressing The more affluent Corinthians are consuming their own food and shaming the poor members. In this context, to eat the meal unworthily means to eat it in a way that provokes divisions with contemptuous disregard for the needs of others in the community. Is there any more? Paul's call to self-scrutiny must therefore be understood not as an invitation for the Corinthians to probe the inner recesses of their consciences, but as a straightforward call to consider how their actions at the supper are affecting brothers and sisters in the church, the body of Christ. That's what we're talking about, my brothers and sisters. Do you understand that? Not one word about who gets to come. There's no, war- and the warning, uh, people have said this to me, you've got to warn non-Christians, From taking it. And I'm like, where do you get that? Where do you get that? Who's the warning to? Christians! Right? So, it just drives me insane. It just drives me crazy that we've taken something that was meant to be a tangible display of the universal grace of God and made it into some magic, exclusive ritual. So, Making sure I've said everything here. Why do we practice the open table? First, because Jesus shows us in his table fellowship during his ministry, kindness leads to repentance. To have sinners be told they can't come until they get their act together reverses the good news of Jesus, the practice of Jesus, and the message of the gospel. Secondly, the first communion supper included Judas. Judas. Thirdly, show me on the basis of those verses what boundary marker the church should use for leadership to determine who gets to take it and who doesn't. You can't pick one. And fourthly, where in the world are we told to clean ourselves up before we approach God? Not once. So, I think this is absolutely, and I'm sorry I'm fired up, but I think this is absolutely central to what Vox is going to be about, okay? We're not in charge of ordering everyone's sanctification for them. That's not our job. Do we want to talk about sin? Yes, even if we use other names for it. Do we want to pursue holiness? Absolutely, of course. We want to become more Christ-like, no question. But what we're not going to do is examine spiritual resumes when people approach the table. I just don't see—I don't see any precedent for that. So no, I'm not afraid we're getting sick because of this. I—I'm afraid uh, that actually people are encountering Jesus. You know, I mean, we had a we had a married couple early at Vox. The the husband is an atheist. The wife, uh, I believe, is a believer. They've been married 40 years, and he took the Lord's Supper with her for the first time in their marriage. And you want to tell me Jesus is pissed? That Jesus is sitting there going, no way, man, you're in danger of dying right now because you weren't, come on. What are we talking about here? Right? So, the Eucharist for us is the most important thing we do. The teaching, of course, phenomenal. (laughs) The worship, magnificent. The stories, compelling. The fellowship, second to none. But none of that is big enough to hold together the kind of community we want to create. Now here's another comment I got last week. Go ahead and put up the last uh, comment. There was a middle schooler last week who texted in a question about a friend of of theirs who came out as gay, and she was examining a scripture in Revelation that seemed to say that being gay was a sin, and uh, what should they do? So I got this response this week. In response to the middle schooler's question about his friend coming out as gay, I feel like you missed an opportunity to tell all of us to accept each other without judgment. I do not view homosexuality as a choice, so I do not see how you can equate it with examples of sexual immorality. Hashtag, safe to belong. The issue... Facebook, there's a phone ringing right now. I just want you to know that. It was pinging. What was it? It was your doctor? Pick it up. I hope it's great news. Why is your doctor calling you on a Sunday? Okay, okay, I don't know. So, now I'm just going gonna, gonna, to, I want to be really honest about this. And, and we, if you pay attention to our podcast, you've heard me say some of these things. The thing that Jesus did around the table was he pulled liberals and conservatives. He pulled a tax collector and a zealot and a betrayer all around the table, right? It was the thing that could unify people who otherwise would hate each other. If we're going to be safe to belong for people that think that homosexuality is not a choice and it's okay, we're also going to be safe to belong for people who don't agree with that stance on homosexuality. We're going to be safe, we need, if safe to belong is true, it's got to be safe to belong for everyone who's in process. So we have folks here who are out and proud, we have folks here who are out and wrestling, we have folks here who think that whole thing's a sin, and the most beautiful testimony that we can offer the world is that both groups set that difference aside and take the bread and the cup together. When you have Trump, when you have Trump lovers and Trump haters who would flame each other on Facebook if they had the opportunity, sitting here, taking the bread and the cup together that says something to our world, right? So yes, yes, it's safe to belong for everybody, and that means we have to live in tension Right? So if you want us to be a non-affirming church, go find a non-affirming church. If you want an affirming church, go find an affirming church. We are not in the affirming, non-affirming business. We're in the business of Eucharist. And we believe that means that there are people who are going to disagree with everything. Like we had a great question two weeks ago. Hey, I'm not sure I buy the whole women teaching thing. I just want to know my views will be respected. Absolutely. I love that you're here. Right? Right? no one's no one i shouldn't say that i don't know many communities trying to pull this off and only the eucharist is strong enough to handle it because there there's no worthy there there's no unworthy well there's all there's only unworthy i guess right there it's the great leveling There's no no Republican, there's no Democrat, there's no gay, there's no straight. I mean, there's just, and I understand that some of you even disagree with how we do this. Oh, amazing. Our job isn't all to be right. Dallas Willard has this great line, no one was ever saved by being right. You're saved by trusting Jesus. And so for us, we want to open the table to all sorts of people. Because if, if unworthy people are not allowed, then I can't take it. You should see what I did yesterday. I harbored anger in my heart towards my sweet wife. It was shocking. She said to me, I'm going to tell you exactly what happened. <laughs> I said, she says, Hey, can you... I'm about ready to park, can you come help? I'm like, absolutely, where are you? Because I'm looking at the parking lot. I'm about ready to park, click. Well, she was parking at the other parking lot. She made me feel foolish, like I should know. Like, so I said, that's a snarky comment, wife. She said, you're being a jerk right now. She walked away. So that's what I did yesterday. No, I mean, all right, that was true. But, however, <laughs> that's a playful point just to say, really, there's no spiritual resume needed. Do you understand this? Now, if you, if, if you want more on this, text and questions, because um, I know I'm being hyperbolic and over the top about it, but I've come from suffocating places where this, this is like this barrier and I just, I just don't see it. I just don't see it. <coughs> I served in a community where women were not, were not allowed to serve communion. I'm like, okay, just show me the verse. I'll, I'll gladly obey the text. Show me the verse that says women can't serve communion. Show me the verse where it says I have to warn non-Christians. Just show me the verse. So, yes, I understand some churches take it very reverently, and we want to take it reverently. This isn't flippant. We're not doing it with Diet Coke and you know, Twinkies. But at the same time, deserving or non-deserving has no place here where we are warned is when we take it in the midst of of hostility and strife towards one another and so we're warned about that and that's why it's so unbelievably important we do it every week because that's the thing that unites us make sense so let's practice shall we So I want you to take the next 15 minutes to a ruthless moral inventory, confess every sin, and then only those of you who've been baptized can take the... No. No, I want to practice this together. It's the highlight of my week. To watch our family, a bunch of jacked up... I mean, you should read the prayer request, man. We are really weird (laughs) and really screwed up. I'm serious. I read these things and I'm like, who the heck are these people? And mine are always in there. So, I mean, I'm, I, you know, of course. No, but in all seriousness, I'm so sorry I'm ADD this morning, but I, I was so, I've been so excited to, to preach this because I do think there's something here. And brothers and sisters, if you are someone who considers themselves far away from God, if you are someone who considers themselves like burnt on church and you're over the whole thing and whatever, I cannot urge you more strongly to reconsider this Jesus. Our, our goal as a community is just simply to try to do a little bit of him justice in terms of how beautiful he is. That's it, that's it. And so one of the ways we do that is we just open up the table to anyone who would come with, uh, with a lot of faith or a little faith, doesn't matter. And so um, the, the tables will be open, gluten-free over there, um, we, we do say the body and the blood for you. We take some of the bread, we dip it in the cup, and we eat. The prayer shawls are there to grab a hold of, the fringes and to cry out, uh, for healing. The prayer requests are written down on parchment and folded up into those wood slots. A couple of prayer folks will be over in that corner if you want to be prayed for now. The goal isn't just to be dissatisfied with church. Right? We're all there. The goal is to now reconstruct on Jesus of Nazareth, because that, man, that, that's amazing. He's amazing. And so part of the way we reconstruct is we come week after week after week and say, "Jesus, here I am, Here I am, here I am." So let me pray. I'll try not to trip over anything, and we shall worship together. Lord Jesus of Nazareth. I am so grateful that you would have eaten dinner with me. That as just a screwed up guy, um, you would have eaten dinner with me. And that um, your kindness would have led me to repentance. It has 2,000 years later. And God, we want to recognize the body and the blood for what it is. We want to take this seriously. So seriously. But we also want to personify the magnificent grace and the expansive invitation to all who would come, to all who call upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. And so God, would you stir in the hearts of my brothers and my sisters the joyful courage to come and to eat, regardless of what it was that went on yesterday or last night or even is happening this morning, that your grace is big enough and your love is deep enough and so, Lord Jesus, in the process of our eating, would you transform us to be more like you? We love you. We bless you. In Christ's name, amen. Good like Amen. Now, you get to stay standing. Everybody else, would you join this young lady in standing? It's allowed. It's allowed in church to stand, to use your body to declare <laughs> praise. My brothers and sisters, a couple of things. Number one, if you're new to our community, um, you can find us online at voxoc.com and you can sign up for something called a new to Vox dinner and you can find out more about us if you'd like. Um, also, uh, if you are the contributing type um, and you're joining our war against consumerism, participation boxes are as you leave. And then um, anything else? Izzy? Steve? No, sir. No, sir? Anything you guys want to add? Fantastic. Kelly, you're already getting a raise. Already. You do work for free. Yes, we will double that salary. Would you agree that our world is in desperate need of of good news? So uh, for us, and I know it's tough because we're all in process as well, Uh, But for us to be good news this week, uh, more important now than ever. And so to that end, I want to pray for you. I'm going to change our blessing. I'm going to change it. I don't even know. I know. I know. What happened to the normal guy? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, mighty God, would you fill us to overflowing with the living water that you speak of, so that we might, out of joy, be people who bring hope, who bring peace, who bring grace to our world. May we embody Eucharist uh, in the way that we live, in the way that we drive, in the way that we shop, in the way that we relate, in the way that we work, in the way that we study. Lord Jesus, please pour out your Spirit on us, for we cannot do these things on our own. And so we ask your blessing in the name of our Christ. Amen and amen. Bless you. Say hello to somebody as you leave. Goodbye. Have a great week. See you later. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Community. Participate in the Vox community at voxoc.com slash participate.